In the cold, dark reaches of space of the far-flung future, piracy runs rampant, and a journey begins. This week on Schedule for Launch, join me, Zach Walsh, as I speak with Ben Fusilier about his comic, Outlaw Nights. Join security guard Cyrus Lawson as he explores and comes to bearing with the fact that he will not get his quiet life. Going from a security officer to pirate, Cyrus's adventure is just starting. We talk about writing, artists, and tone. Another comic creator. Ben, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast this week. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. (laughs) And uh, thank you for that wild pre-show where I just kind of just talked a little bit too much for a while. It's been a day. <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> but that's not the important part. We're here to learn about you and your comic Outlaw Nights, which is really cool. I love the art style. The little bit of information that I do know about it, I'm very excited about. Oh, hell yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, I um... <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm just the writer, so, you know, I, I can't take credit for how awesome it looks, but you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm quite pleased with the results. We're going to get into that in a little bit. Ben, before we really get started on Outlaw Nights, though, can you please tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Well, let's see. I am a writer, screenwriter, comic writer from New Orleans. Um Okay. My background is mostly in film, uh, but a couple of years ago I decided to delve into indie comics. Uh, mm-hmm. Number one, because I, I started paying attention to a lot of YouTube shows that were talking about comics and promoting indie comics, and I noticed that like there just seemed to be a major boom going on with independent mm-hmm. comic production. And like on checking it out and thinking about it, I, re- I recognize that it's a lot more cost-effective to produce a comic than it is to try to produce a full-on movie, especially since like <laughs> most of my ideas are very high concept. So it was like, um, and Outlaw Nights was a story that I had just kind of been playing around with for mm-hmm. at least 10 years. And it was something that I was just kind of thinking, keeping in the back of my head where I'm like, I'm going to try to make this like a big old movie someday. And, and, you know, as I was getting older, I was just starting to get more realistic about it. And uh, I decided to give it a shot, converting it into a comic. And I found that it actually works better as a comic. So everything just kind of clicked into place. And uh, I was really happy that with our first campaign, because uh, we managed to get get what we were looking for in funding, and I managed to produce the book, got it out to a bunch of people. It was a nice success, so I'm ready for part two. <laughs> I'm very excited to learn more about part one and part two. Something that I picked up there is that you said you're also a screenwriter. Yep. How'd you get involved in just writing in general though um basically since i was a kid i've always been had way too big of an imagination uh (laughs) i i just love like escapism and 
the concept of world building, it's always just been with me, like, especially since uh, when I was about, like, you know, a preteen, I really started getting into RPG video games. Oh, man, uh, same. <laughs> particularly, like, uh, the Final Fantasy series is probably, like, my mm -hmm. favorite video game series of all time. And so, like, just with all of that, like, it just kept my, you know, I just kept imagining and kept doing, you know, going off into my own little worlds. And somewhere along the line, I just kind of figured, like, I should, like, that should be my career, is is creating. You know, mm -hmm. like, that's what I'm passionate about. That's what I enjoy doing the most. And it's like, you gotta, you gotta follow what you're passionate about. Otherwise, you're not really living. Uh, yeah, a hundred percent agree with that. I think that in recent years, a lot of people got to expose themselves to more passions. So I'm glad to hear that you're kind of deep diving into that and exploring other options other than just screenwriting. Something that I'm curious to know about is, do you think that your love of world building and these big expansive universes, and you said you're high concept as well. Do you think that yeah. that kind of was influenced by that media that you consumed when you were younger? Like, I don't know how many oh. of the listeners out there have played a Final Fantasy game, but they're they're big. They're always very big. Oh, yeah, no, 100%. Like, most of my ideas, you know, it's like they, they involve combinations of elements of things that I've seen. Mm-hmm. And it's just like me kind of picking and choosing elements of stories that I love. Where it's like, okay, I thought this worked really well, but this didn't work. So I'd like to take this, but I'd like change it up here and there, and I'd refocus it this way. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, yeah. Because ultimately, like I find like that's what really creation is these days. It's you know you take your influences and you kind of you kind of refashion it in your own way. Mm -hmm. there's this thing in game design where creators will take bits and pieces of other games that they like and the term that's used is either hacking or kit bashing and i think that that is a huge part of writing too most definitely because i mean there's really there's nothing new under the sun especially like <laughs> storytelling wise you know it's just people taking things that they love and kind of combining elements and rearranging things and then ultimately mm -hmm. telling it from their own perspective or worldview. Old stories, new flavors. Exactly. And speaking of new flavors, we have Outlaw Knights. What is Outlaw Knights? <laughs> so Outlaw Knights is an action-adventure uh, suspense thriller you know very very high on action but um <laughs> it and it's also a very much i would categorize it as a space opera not really a sci-fi yeah. but um it takes place in the 31st century humanity has begun colonizing onto other planets um and in essence history is very much repeating itself as uh, the nations of Earth are all at each other's throats, competing over territory and resources. Mm -hmm. And so it's very much uh, a mirror to what happened with, like, the discovery of the New World uh, mm -hmm. back in the day, where it's 
you know, everything is competition, it's manifest destiny brought back, but on a much more epic scale. And in the midst of all this, uh, there has been a new boom in sort of a golden age of piracy, because even though technology has improved to where, you know, Big Brother is very much uh, in play, it it's, you know, it's too stretched thin to be able to cover everything going on in the outer territories. So, essentially, criminal behavior has become far more, uh, you, know, you can get away with a lot more. <laughs> so, it's a very chaotic time period. And in the midst of all of that is our main character, Cyrus Lawson, who is basically, he's a refugee because uh, his home country of the United States uh, was destroyed. <laughs> was destroyed about, a, I think, about ten years prior to the story. And so he's okay. kind of bounced around a bit. And he has settled into a far away, out of the way, um, I would say strategically useless colony called Therese. And he's kind of, you know, he's very naive and he's got this kind of small town hero complex where uh, <laughs> he's, you know, he wants to live a relatively peaceful life, but at the same time he wants yeah. to engage in some heroics. So he's joined the colony guard of Therese. But he's not, you know, it's he wasn't anticipating a hell of a lot from it. But, uh, pretty much right from the outset of issue number one, his dream is ripped right from under him as the colony is invaded by a ship of pirates, and the ship is called Hazard. And these pirates are looking for a special piece of data that is going to lead to something much later on in the series here. Uh, that's gonna and it's gonna be turning everything on its head. That's the best I can. That's that's the <laughs> most specific I can be about that. But um, <laughs> so without giving issue one away too much, like push comes to shove, Cyrus ends up kidnapped by these pirates, mm -hmm. and so uh, beginning in issue two. Cyrus has to learn how to survive in the underworld of the 31st century while at the same time redefining his very black and white sense of morality. So you have this this fish out of water story on a very large scale. Absolutely. And Cyrus in many ways is is kind of, you know, the audience's window into this this new underworld. Something that you can kind of understand. He's coming from a place that, from my understanding, should have been relatively safe yes. to a place that was probably even safer. And then that kind of just like disappears really fast. Yep. Exactly. And also it's very much him growing as a person because yeah. like, I, like I just said, like he... um. He's got a very rigid sense of morality, which I would say kind of reflects the way I used to look at the world when I was a lot younger. Yeah. And that, you know, it's like reality is sort of going to be putting him to the test. 
No, that's totally fair. I always find that the most compelling characters have pieces of the author in them because there's this sense of authenticity to the character. So to to hear that, obviously you didn't, I shouldn't make assumptions, but I'm guessing that you weren't kidnapped by pirates and learned to be a better person. Unfortunately, no. <laughs> or maybe fortunately there. <laughs> <laughs> so something that I really wanted to know, though, was what drew you to the space opera action scene like that? What what drew you to that spot specifically over something like sci-fi or thriller, maybe even a suspense comic? A lot of it was um, just my influences growing up. Um, I really enjoyed specific animes growing up. Like I was never big into anime, but there were some that I just really loved. Like, a couple of them being things like, uh, I know, like, Tenchi Muyo had a little bit of stuff in it about space piracy, but it was very minimal. But what little stuff there was in there, I really loved. Um, I really enjoyed Outlaw Star, which I know that Outlaw sounds Star very... great. I know that sounds very similar to Outlaw Knights, but that is not where I pulled the name from, I promise <laughs> you. Um, <laughs> but, um... Yeah, like, I really loved the the setup in that story, but at the same time, there was a lot of things I would have changed about that story. Um, and I really, like, I think I first came up with the idea for Outlaw Nights right after I saw the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Really? Um, yeah, because I loved the Pirates movie. Like, I loved the aesthetics. I loved uh, the way the story was set up. But, at the, like, I was thinking in terms of, like, I love that romanticism behind piracy, but I wanted to do it in a way where it was like you could have more room to play. And I felt like, you know, when you do something in a futuristic setting, you give so many other options for, like, technology. or yeah. like And in, in dealing with space, you're not limited by things like geography. Because it's like the big reason why the golden age of piracy eventually ended was because like people started charting out all the all the empty spots on the map. It was like we all fi we figured out pretty quickly how big the Americas were, and mm -hmm. like law and order were able to get more of a foothold, and so it was like there was less room for people to hide out away from civilization. Uh, but when you're dealing with something like space, like, that's an endless ocean. Yeah. Like, it's, you're not going to be able to chart all of that. You know, even if you are in, in something like a Star Trek. But, you know. <laughs> you had mentioned earlier that Cyrus is kind of put into this refugee state by the destruction of the United States of America. And yep. obviously the USA is way bigger in the mm -hmm. 31st century, but that's a pretty strong opening swing. Yeah. What kind of led you to that? Because that's to me, like it's really bold and not in a bad way. I'm not saying like <laughs> that negatively at all. I want to state that it's just like an, okay, the stakes are already pretty high. 
Yeah, um, it was it was a lot of different factors. I think part of it was my own, uh, I guess, my own bleak outlook on certain things. But it was also, <laughs> uh, but it was also just due to like you know usually in a lot of these stories. Uh, you know, America is always kind of presented as being like the big, strong country. Hero, yeah. Yeah, and you know, it's like, and and it's like you got refugees from other countries that have to deal with acclimating to America and all, and I just kind of thought it'd be kind of fun to play around with a reversal of that. Where it's like, okay, instead of America being the one has to that brings in the refugees... Have it be the reverse. It's like Americans are now having to acclimate to other cultures, mm-hmm. and so like I just I like I kind of liked that concept, and and I just thought it would be kind of a fun thing to play with in a in a futuristic setting. I'm sure it does look a little bit different too when we're talking refugees from a planet to another planet too. So. Yeah, and plus, I mean, uh, one of the things that's going to come up a little a little later on in the series is the idea that, like, uh, you know, the colonies on the planets are themselves developing autonomous cultures from their parent countries. And that's leading mm-hmm. to a lot of conflict with uh, the inland, as I call it, which is Earth. Okay. Um and so, you know, you got certain colonies that are vying for independence. You got certain colonies that are kind of a hodgepodge of different cultures. You know, so there's a lot of variety going on. Mm-hmm. I think that, like, kind of really fits the space opera theme, too. Because if you look at something like Star Wars, one of the big I mean, there are people out there who, well, there are people out there who can name just about everything about that, but the planets are so distinct from one another that they, it's like, oh, this scene happened here. And you know that the rest of the planet probably doesn't look like that, but that's what you know about it. And it kind of just encompasses the entire setting there. So having these autonomous planets kind of helps build out that world and universe building that you talked about earlier. Oh, most definitely, yeah. Like, I haven't completely planned out everything that's going to happen in the series, but, like, I have a very good idea of things that I want to do, and I ultimately know where I'm going to end up with the series. Mm-hmm. Like, because that's the most important thing, is you want to know where you're, where you, what your goal is, where you're heading to in the writing. Um... But, you know, there's there's just a lot of fun... There's just a lot of fun things that I want to play with. <laughs> we had talked about fun and exciting elements to play with prior to the actual interview started. And one of those <laughs> was both of our love for space pirates. Yep. Obviously, Pirates of the Caribbean, huge inspiration for you. Is this kind of like a, a unified front? Is somebody like Hazard like an opportunist? Obviously, they're planning with this data spot specifically, but or is it like a, a whole hierarchy kind of like reflections of our world at history? Um, it's well, it's a very much kind of a rat race. 
Okay. Because uh, you know, Hazard has like, you know, they've 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 been tipped off about this data, because ultimately it's about with the Captain Ivory. Uh, he's he's got a big plan of what he's gonna do with, with this quote unquote treasure, that they're mm-hmm. looking for. Um, but of course, Hazard is not the only ship that has heard of this, and so there's mm-hmm. gonna be some competition coming down the line because uh, there are different groups of pirates that are all willing to cut throats to get to get ahead <laughs> and um actually we're in issue two uh we're gonna get a brief uh little teaser uh, of of one of those competing pirate groups i always love seeing that competition between these either villains or morally great groups because yeah. I, I I mean, I don't know about you, Ben, but I personally love, even if it's super overdone, but I love the anti-hero slash villain tropes where it's like oh, these yeah. opportunistic hunters. Like, I love that. Oh, definitely. And uh, I can tell you that, like, the heart of this particular arc in the Outlaw Knights saga, as I put it... Um, mm-hmm. It very much centers on the relationship between Cyrus and the captain of Hazard, Ivory. Because okay. in, in many ways, uh, I got a little bit of a reflection there from um, Treasure Island. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> the, re- the relationship between uh, Jim Hawkins or Jim Hawking and uh, Long John Silver. Yeah. Because there's that you know there's that dynamic of uh, you got Cyrus who's very much he's all about you know the good you know like the mm-hmm. the, the pure good and you've got uh, Ivory who's I would categorize as more of a chaotic neutral but, okay. you know he's he's not uh, he's not a bad guy no he's just not and and I mean compared to most other pirates he's actually pretty lenient but. Mm-hmm. He's still like you don't want to screw him over. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. At the end of the day, he is Cyrus's character fold and mentor to this new world. Yes. Very much so. Those are always fun characters to play with. Oh yeah, Ivory's. I can tell you, like, Ivory's actually <laughs> my favorite character. So. Writing and creating characters can be super tricky at times. And one of the advantages I think comics have over a lot of other mediums is the ability to stylize and show what their characters look like in a drawn format. You've got a new team of artists for issue two. You have one, you know, our Oh my gosh, I'm sorry, everybody. I'm going to butcher some names right now. Oh, no, that's cool. (laughs) Arcorius? Is that right? No? No, it's not. Yeah. Well, I mean, he... um... Close. Juanito. You have Juanito. You have uh, of Aerith Saga. You have Jay Krager of Hammer, a post-Ragnarok tale, and Bruce Patanoid. Maybe... (laughs) Oh, guys, I'm sorry. I'll apologize to you later. Of the wreck, and they've got some really cool art that's being used for 
issue two. Basically, well, what happened was Bruce was actually my original interior artist, but I just mm-hmm. kind of found that, um, like, he has a really good style. It's just I found that it just wasn't a very good fit for this particular one. So mm-hmm. um, I mostly was just using uh, some of the pages he did for our promotional work there. And okay. uh, Juanito, Juanito was actually going to be my interior artist next, but he ended oh, okay. up being backlogged with a lot of diff- other projects, so he wasn't able to really commit to anything. So um, I'm definitely going to be featuring his work in the book. It's just yeah. uh, it's not going to be the actual story pages. It's going to be like additional splash artwork. pages. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so. Uh, Jay Crager is actually going to be doing the interiors, and uh, so far we've done about four pages. Um, unfortunately, I, went, I haven't been able to do more just yet because I'm in between jobs looking for a new job, so money's tight right now, and uh, I like to pay my artists you know, right when they get the pages done. Like I don't like to yep. put things off, so I just mm-hmm. kind of have him on hold at the moment, but... Um, I really like. I really love his work, uh, in particular. It's so good. Yeah, like um, on the uh, on the email sign up page, Jay Crager is the one who did uh, that cover that has uh, that has uh, my boy Wellington with all that electricity around. Yes, him. that's like one of my favorite pieces. Yeah, that's gonna be the cover. It's so good. <laughs> Yeah, Wellington is technically the villain of this issue, and he is a uh, he's a British soldier and particularly specializes in hunting pirates. Yeah, he looks like he can rip you in half with his bare hands. So oh, I know. Like, I think what, <laughs> my, what really sold me on Jay Crager was when he did that page. Like, it was that psychotic look he gave Wellington. I was just yeah. like, yes, that's that's it. <laughs> like, that's the one. It's like, I think that the best, like, feeling I can give is, like, this is, like, 90, like, late 80s, early 90s feeling comic, which to me is, like, one of my favorite styles. It's where it's, like... Most definitely. Yeah, oh, just, like, the lighting's super good, and, like, the shapes, and everybody's just got such, like, dynamic poses going on here. I just, I love it. It's so good. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. And as you've probably noticed from a lot of the artwork, you know, everybody works out in space. Oh, yeah. Muscles <laughs> on muscles. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what I was getting at was like, what goes into you communicating with an artist on like getting the right look for a character? Or do you give them pretty, like a pretty free reign? It's actually kind of 50-50 because um, what it is is there's certain characters where it's like I'm very specific about what I want. Like with uh, Ivory in particular, like I was very specific about him. I was very specific about Serpent and all like all the main characters. Like I had very specific ideas. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of the side characters, I left them kind of vague. Like, I kind of, you know, I would explain, like, okay, I'll, maybe this color hair, uh, this kind, this style of clothing, but not specifically what they're wearing. Yeah, their um, job let, more so. 
Yeah, and I'd let the artists kind of play around with some of those characters, and in the backgrounds, uh, particularly, are very much the artists' uh, creative work. Because I'm I'm not good at at scenery description. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's. <laughs> that, but that's fine though. Like, you're you're a writer, in like that sense, and when you're trying to build out something that we really don't have a proper image of yet, like we have, we have pieces of media that fall through there. But when we're trying to create something unique, like people know the tropes of space opera, you could talk, ask anybody what star Wars is and they have at least a vague idea of what they're oh, thinking yeah. about. Yeah. I think the, and I think the thing that makes star Wars so like lovable for people, like particularly with the originals, not with the mm-hmm. prequels or, or anything, but with the originals, what everybody loves and what, was something that I kind of wanted to be incorporated into Outlaw Nights is that whole thing about, uh, unlike most space, like space stories in general, Star Wars was specifically designed to where like the scenery and everything looks very aged. Everything yeah. looks really well lived in. And it's like, it gives you that sense that like, okay, this has been around mm-hmm. for a while. Like there's, there's a, there's a culture here. There's something ingrained here where it's like you got something like Star Trek where it's like th- everything looks new. Looks like it was, yeah. Yeah, it looks like everything was built last week. You know, <laughs> like... Exactly, yeah. I actually had a conversation with a game designer half a year or so ago about that specific topic in their game, which was also space opera themed. And he stressed with his artist making sure everything looked like it had a layer of dirt on it. Yes. Like, your pirates, Hazard, their ship, that's their home. Like, that's where they live. Oh, yeah. In fact, <laughs> um, yeah, like, they, they show part of the interior of Hazard in uh, the first issue. Um, particularly the, uh, the cockpit. And, I mean, mm-hmm. it was really well done, um, but at the same time, like, I, a part of me kind of wished I could go back and, uh, like, I really wanted to add in a couple of little details that we just were, we never really had time for. Like, I would have yeah. loved to add in something like, like, a, like a stereo or something, you know? Or like yeah, maybe just some like little things. Drinks, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, actually, Ivory does have a drink in that scene, because, uh... Yeah. Ivory's an alcoholic. And oh, so well, there you go. He's he's always <laughs> slamming them back. And that's why he has a... And that's also why he's got a pilot working for him, even though he can pilot. It's because he's usually drunk. <laughs> no, but that's like... That's some good world building right there. Also shows he's responsible. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is going to go to Indiegogo, which is one of the other backing sites that people have started to use as they've moved away from Kickstarter was the first issue back through Indiegogo too. Yes. Okay. Could you tell me a little bit about your experience with Indiegogo? A lot of the people who come through and listen to these episodes are either trying to like learn a little bit about the different backing sites. Cause we have some creators who come on and like, obviously there's a lot of announcements 
a couple months ago about Kickstarter and some choices they've decided to make. So they're looking <laughs> for options. What are some things that you like about Indiegogo? Um, I really enjoy how they really don't. Uh, there's there's not a hell of a lot of what I would call like vetting, where it's like they don't they don't have specific rules that you have to adhere to necessarily. Like, I mean, they have some rules, obviously, but I yeah. mean, there's there's way more, I guess, creative freedom with Indiegogo. Mm-hmm. And uh, they really just let you do your thing. Um, the uh, you know they do take a small percentage of what you make, but I think that's pretty reasonable considering yeah. everything. Um, I think the only downside I would give to Indiegogo is just that uh, if you need to contact them, I think they they pretty much kind of run on sort of an automated basis when it comes to. Uh, interaction with people uh, hosting campaigns like if you have a problem and you email them like it's going to take them a little while to get back to you and usually you'll get like a computer generated response Mm. so yeah like that's the only downside that I would give to Indiegogo like everything else is very good I mean that's always good to hear like not the the automated response part that kind of sucks <laughs> but like the fact that for the most part it's a really good and i'm guessing it's not overly difficult to get set up and stuff oh not at all well that's good to hear i know very little about the actual backing process so just hearing that it is a place where creators can go and kind of get started without too much of a hassle is always a positive Definitely, yeah. Because around the time I launched my campaign, um, I had been looking around and, like, I had been hearing about how, like, Kickstarter was doing things where, like, you know, it it was like they were very much obsessed with, uh, I guess, controlling certain types of content. Yeah. It's like, if if you had a campaign that had, like, like, let's say, like, if you were doing a comic where there was a lot of women with, like, cleavage showing or something, they would, like, vet mm. you, you know? They'd be like, uh-uh. Yeah, they'd put it on freeze. And those things kind of come up. I'm not actually sure which country Kickstarter is based out of either, though, so I guess it kind of gets a little murky when you're starting to go into international waters. Yeah, most definitely. The other part, though, that I wanted to ask you a little bit about was the actual campaign for issue two of Outlaw Knights, Genesis of a Renegade, I believe is the name of this issue. Oh, yeah, it's actually, it was the name of the first issue also. It's just, this is oh. sort of Genesis of a Renegade part two. Oh, okay, that's the storyline. Perfect, okay. So, this is going to hit Indiegogo at this point in time as we're talking, like you said. You're in between work, so it's kind of on hold, but we're getting the word out there and people can start to look into it. What are some of the things you're hoping to add to the campaign? Um, well, I keep most of my cam like I kept my last campaign pretty simple. Um, mm-hmm. because the number one thing like I notice a lot of my fellow uh crowdfunders do, like, you know, a lot of us we network. Um, yeah, we all kind of go on each other's streams and we all talk about things and 
I've gotten a lot of great advice. Um, but the number one thing I've always noticed with a lot of these campaigns is that they promise a lot of extras. Mm -hmm. The biggest problem with that is that that takes up much more time and money. So a lot of times people end up having to push their delivery dates back and have to, you know, and they have like a bunch of other complications that they have to juggle. So with my, I, with my story, especially since, you know, Outlaw Knights has just started as a story, I'm kind of saving the extras for a little more down the line. Mm -hmm. That being said, um, I am going to add in like a couple of special tiers of like, get a book with like a poster, get, you know, two books with like a poster, that kind of thing. And I'm yeah. definitely going to be offering uh, issue one once again on this campaign. Mm -hmm. And I actually thought about, I'm thinking about this, so I'm not sure if it'll work. But I was thinking about doing like a special tier where you get both issues combined into one book. Oh, that'd be very cool. Like a, a, a volume. We talked about that earlier. <laughs> kind of a volume. Like it would only be about 50 pages. So, I mean, yeah, I don't know if that constitutes a volume. Um, I'm not totally sure. Because, <laughs> I mean, because what it is is like originally, you know, Issue two right now was originally part of issue number one. Like they yes. were originally one script, and uh, I ended up having to cut it in half to make everything more feasible. Mm -hmm. And I hated having to cut it in half, but you know I did it reluctantly. Yeah. So this would sort of be like my my way of kind of getting that wish, but I don't know if it'll work out logistically or not i need to ask i need to ask a couple of people about it mm -hmm. but there's definitely going to be some deals of getting both issues again and actually this is a very uh limited tier idea that i have but essentially everybody on the email list is going to have access to a couple of secret tiers that aren't going to be available on the main campaign and one of them is that uh, I have about three issues of issue number one left over. So three three people who jump on it real quick are going to have the chance to get two for the price of one. Okay. So you'll get both issues for the price of just one comic. That is significant, especially with the paper shortage and everything. Like, totally understandable. I know that you already have them, but the the current paper shortage that the world's going through has really increased the price of physical books yeah oh right Lord. we totally forgot to mention that this is also <laughs> available digitally like that's yes. we don't want you out there listening and thinking that you need to get the physical copy if you prefer to listen digitally ben has told me that it is available digitally as well absolutely and issues one and two so, Ben, we're actually starting to kind of run low on time here <laughs> with stuff. We've kind of gone for a bit now, and I talked a little too much before we hit record. Uh, oh, no <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I have a really, to me, a really important question for every creator who comes onto this show has answered it at least once. And that is, what advice can you give to a new creator who's looking to 
maybe start their own project or write their own comic, but they don't really know where to start? Um, well, I would say, number one, uh, you know, learn the format uh, in terms of like, if you're, if this is like your first time writing a comic or a screenplay, like, you know, learn the format of how to do it. it it's relatively easy to do so because um, I was using a program called Final Draft, which you may have heard of. Um, yes. Yeah, like, and uh, when you choose the template on, like, you know, oh, is this a screenplay or is this a comic uh, script? If you choose comic script, they give you the temp the format, like, right there. Like, they, they give you everything you need to know. Like, it, it's already set up for you. So that, uh, it, it won't take you long at all to learn that. Um, and you just got to kind of wrap your mind around it. <laughs> um, but also, um, I would say network. Like, that's the, that's the biggest thing that's helped me out is, like, uh, get with other creators online. Get with, like, streamers and stuff they can point you in the right direction on anything. Uh, you know, that's the way That's the way I basically learned how to do what I'm doing, is just I listened to what other people had done. Uh, I took advice from them uh, whenever they gave me, like, critiques. Um, and, yeah, just just try to figure out uh, who, your, who your product is for, like, who your audience is, and, uh, and go from there. I think that's excellent advice because once you know who your audience is, you can really start to narrow in on what kind of content you want to create as well. Yeah, most definitely. Ben, this has been an incredible talk and I've learned a lot about Outlaw Nights and I'm really excited to see more of it as it comes out. Where can people find out more about you and Outlaw Nights? Um, well, I am on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Knights Outlaw, and you know that's with an N, not a K. But um, you can also <laughs> you can also uh, check out the email list on Indiegogo itself. Uh, mm -hmm. Outlaw Knights: Genesis of a Renegade Part Two. Uh, sign up for the email list because. I'm not going to schedule the launch to this thing till I have at least 100 people on the email list, and we're up to about 81 so far. Oh, so wow. We're in, we're in the right direction. It's just uh, we got to get there. So sign up for that email list. Also, uh, you can find me on Instagram, at Outlaw Nights. <laughs> it's pretty simple. And you can also find me on YouTube. Uh, okay. which is on my channel called Fusebox. All right. As always, audience, those links are going to be down in the description below. Ben, once again, thank you so much for joining me this week on the podcast to talk about Outlaw Nights. I had a great time. Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate the hell out of it. <laughs> no problem at all. And audience, thank you so much for listening. Ben and Outlaw Nights... Genesis of a Renegade Issue 2. They're scheduled to launch real soon. So keep an ear out. Go sign up for the email feed and get in on this project before it's it's passed and you gotta pay a bigger fee to 
get a hold of it because <laughs> that's the best part about crowdsourcing something is the lower pay to get what you want <laughs> yep but until then take care of yourselves have a good night and we'll see you on the next one bye thank you so much to ben for joining me here on the podcast this week outlaw nights is this incredible late 80s early 90s space opera feel and i really think fans of star wars and stargate and shows of that type will be really into it it's got this intense layer of detail and issue two is looking like it's going to be really outstanding go follow ben on his socials and get notified on launch for when this project goes live and thank you for listening audience i said last week that we might hit 1600 listeners total and now we're really close to being at 1700 listens so y'all turned out in a in a very hard way if you don't follow on twitter i also wanted to quickly update you and let you know that scheduled for launch is now available on stitcher i personally never heard of it before until like two days ago but i had a couple of people ask about it and ask me to bring it there and i wasn't sure well it's on there now as of today so please go check it out if you use stitcher let me know how it sounds because i'm super unfamiliar with it if you like the show and you want to hear more though why not tell somebody about us word of mouth is the only way that i get around with this one because money i can't afford to <laughs> i can't afford to promote the show any other way so i gotta thank all of you for the wonderful things that you say about the show and bringing me on to all this cool stuff and getting to do things like charity streams and that it's been a lot of fun next week though i'm going to be joined by steve d of tin star games to go over his catalog of work i hope to see you there until then though take care of yourselves i'll see you on the next one bye